a sexual harassment, sexual assault, lewdness, power in Hollywood. That's what broke out over the weekend when it comes to Harvey Weinstein. So we'll talk about that and some of the back and forth over the situation. Also, while the NFL controversies seemingly lose steam every week and significance every passing week, there's a hockey player trying to build bridges that I want to focus on and take a look at. And Nashville Predator is doing things to help bridge a gap between his community relations and police relationships. All of this, plus Donald Trump's recent executive order on health care and Rand Paul's involvement in it, and a little bit more. This is Fritzcast. It is Fritzcast, and it's Tuesday, October 17th, 2017. And can you believe? I mean, every time, every time I look at the date and it's the next week, I'm always taken aback just a little bit because it's not next week, but two weeks from now it's, it's Halloween and then it'll be November and we'll be diving into, uh, you know, another Thanksgiving, another Christmas season. And it's, it's crazy to me. It's nuts. Sometimes how fast time moves and some of it, uh, you know, in this case, I wouldn't put it as a good thing. As much as uh, other people might, it, it's one of those things where uh, I think I've been juggling around so much work, so much overtime, and trying to keep up with the news lately that, uh, like, I'm losing my sanity. What what little shrouds and bits of sanity that I have left are definitely being flung out the window at 90 miles an hour. I like I'm watching all the sanity leave my brain. And just scatter. And it's a, the, the sad part is it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere useful in the world, which kind of sucks, right? It, this The world could use just a little dose of sanity. So that's sad. That is uh, upsetting, to say the least. So we're coming at you on Tuesday because uh, if you're, an, if you're a uh, weekly devoted listener, as you all should be, even if you're not, you might be brand new. Hi, welcome to the program. I'm Fritz. I'm crazy. If you're if you're a listener of the program, you happen to know that uh, my Mondays Mondays is usually the day that the show is done and popped up, and it covers like the previous week. And if you know my law enforcement profession, if you've been sticking around that long, and I talk about my job and all that because I I literally don't keep track anymore. I don't know what episodes I've talked about my job. And what episodes I haven't talked about my job. Well, I got froze Sunday night and a Monday morning. Which, I, you know, it is what it is. I get froze basically once a week. So that's mandated to work another shift. And for me, since I work 4 to midnight, the next shift would be midnight to 8. Which is a drag. Alright, it's a horrible shift to work, in my opinion. I'm not built for it. And I get a little disgruntled when I have to power through a shift of 12 to 8 because I need sleep. Period. The end. And and that's where it stands. My disgruntledness now just comes from the fact, and I figured it out. I figured it out over the course of this last freeze. 
It has nothing to do with working the overtime. I can freely work a lot of overtime. Um, it, it 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 is a drag. It's sixteen hour shifts. That's that's a bit ridiculous. Uh, it is very hard to grind through. Uh, multiple sixteen hour shifts. But I do it sometimes because you know a little extra money, a little extra money in my bank account doesn't hurt. It might hurt getting it, not so much physically as much as it is uh, mentally. And I figured out the whole freeze thing, what really irks me about it, what really gets me about it is the fact that it is, you know, I mean, it is technically voluntary because I signed the contract that stated that this could happen. So I understand that and I take on... I take on the the burden of responsibility of what I took, but it really does suck because it, it, as voluntary as it is, it's not. You can get hit any time with it. You can get any number of times with it based on staffing need. And it just sucks, especially when you sit there and you're told, hey, uh, you're, you're probably going to get froze on 12 to 8 tonight, so you're not going to be able to go home. You're not going to be able to go to bed and and sleep with your wife for tonight. That, that type of business. You can't go home. You're not allowed to go home. You're staying here. And we're paying you, you know, time and a half, your overtime, whatever. And But th- it's a drag. It's still a drag, and it's still a mental game because it's work saying, hey, you can't have life. We don't care. That's the whole thing. It's so like, yeah, I, I can power through the next shift, but I come home, at, and it's sometime after 8 o'clock in the morning, catch a shower, flop into bed, and try to get... A solid four hours of sleep so that you can wake up in time for your next shift. Which is uh, chalked up to things that I hate. I remember high school. And I hated going to class at the beginning of the day. You know, 7, we'll call it 7.30 in the morning. And really, you know, I was I grew up Mormon. So really, huh, really, class didn't start at 7.30 a.m. Class started at like 6 a.m. Because there was this Mormon seminary thing that the youth you know were not required to do but required to do before you went into class so that was 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. and then going into school at 7:30 all the way up till 2:30 then coming home briefly and going to work at my job which taught me i mean let's not let us not scorn the, the overall idea, I had just gotten my license, I was learning that I had to pay for my own bills, you know, I wanted unlimited texting on a flip phone. Flip phone, when I say flip phone, I feel ancient. Because there are now people that exist that have no idea what a flip phone is. Or T9 predictive texting is, which I never used anyway because it sucked. But it taught me, you know, hey, get a job, earn your money, pay, you know, pay for things like my cell phone, an, ex- an extravagant thing that was half of a need, half of a want. Especially at that time because you couldn't do a lot of fancy things on phones anyway, but you were driving, you wanted a cell phone in case you got into an accident. Okay, need. that Chalk that up to the need column. But that was at the time where, you know, 
my mother said, all right, you're old enough to not freeload anymore. You're old enough to, A, have a job, make some money, pay for your cell phone bill. You know, pay, pay me some money to cover the portion of the cell phone bill that you jack up in this household. Pay some money to driving a car, to your car insurance, to gassing up a car. That all started in that. And it was good. It was a good little slap of reality like, hey, this is what life's going to be soon. It's not going to be comfortably sitting at home wondering what you're going to do with your life. Figure it out now. Find something. And it worked, and it took, and then, you know, immediately after high school, I, I you know, I, I flourished for a little bit. I got a credit card, I built up my credit, and slowly, all those things that I learned to be smart about, I got dumb about. And that's what molded me into the person that I am today. But some of that grind, that's what I hated. I hated not having a day, I hated not being able to dump my energy into passions, and there's a fine balance. There, there's, there's definitely a, you know, I need to go and bring home the bread. I need to bring home the money to pay off the bills, to do all this and that. And I, I found I'm conveniently stuck in a rut that probably a lot of people are stuck in right now where you have a job. You don't necessarily hate your job. There's aspects of your job that you really like. You do take pride in your work. I always take pride in my work. I try to be the best damn employee that I can be. I want where I'm working to be, A, proud to list me off and their top candidates of people who they can count and rely on, and B, I enjoy being an active role in making whatever organization I'm a part of better, which I think is a great attitude to have. There's a lot of people who work that don't have that attitude. They don't care about where they work. They don't care about their bosses. They don't care about their coworkers. They don't care about anything other than Friday payday is the paycheck in the bank. It cleared. All right, I'll be back in tomorrow. And it's funny because I've seen you, you, you get building blocks in life. You, you learn different things and experiences, and you throw them in your own book, and you figure things out. I have figured out how workplace cultures, you know, affect the entire workplace. Very, very, and it's odd to say that in a prison, because prison has this complex that other businesses don't have. Workplace culture in prison is affected not only by administration, but also by your offender inmate population. It's crazy. It's this crazy two completely different dynamics. And that and, and that plays into employee morale and how employees get by in their day-to-day working careers. This this huge gap between administration and offender. I'll probably have to do an episode to really break it down and get into some specifics with it, but just so everybody knows, like, that's what pisses me off about freezing. Not that I have to do it. I get it. I sign the line. It is what it is. I'll grind through an eight-hour shift. It tires me out. I lose a day, pretty much. If I get froze onto a shift, it's not just grinding through another eight hours. I've been up since 6 a.m. 
This is this is typical life for me. I get up at 6 a.m., see the wife off to work, go about my business throughout the day, whatever I got to do, including working out and exercising, trying to whip my fat butt into shape and lead a healthy lifestyle the best that I can, keeping my house clean, working on things like my, my broken freaking washing machine right now, which just crapped out. <laughs> my wife texted me last night at work. And says that the washer craps out. I'm like, ah, oh, that's just that's perfect. We just did up big budgeting plans, and and we know how we're gonna tackle certain debt and uh, and start up projects in the house and all that. And then your freaking washer craps out, and you're like, all right, I'm not gonna have to a lot a couple hundred bucks to fix that. I'm not gonna have to buy a new one. Great life, <laughs> life. You, you live and you learn. And one of the things that I learned over this weekend, Delawareans, that doesn't mean if you're not in a in Delaware, tune out. This is Delawareans, if you're thinking about doing like a ghost walk in old Newcastle, old historic Newcastle. That was my Darth Vader clock. I'm sorry. Yes, I have a Darth Vader clock. It's actually a Lego Darth Vader clock. Don't be jealous. Be jealous. Yeah, no, my wife and I, Jay, Sean, and Luther, yeah, we double date a lot. It's like we're a couple married to another couple. We did a ghost walk in old historic Newcastle, which Newcastle, especially old historic Newcastle, is very, you know, cobblestone highways type of thing. Uh, Really old buildings. I actually took a flyer from, I think it was Remax or one one of the real estate agencies for a house that's for sale down there. Which, that type of setting, <clears throat> I could live there. I could buy a house there and live in that old city, old town type of thing. I can't do it in a modern city, could never do it in a modern city, would hate life if I did. But I can do it in one of those old-timey places set up like that. Except the house was like $600,000, and I said, no, I can buy a house that's really nice for half that price. Elsewhere, detached, farmland included. We did this ghost tour there, and I'm not going to discuss what the price of it was, okay? It wasn't mega super expensive, but it was, you know, it was more than a couple pennies to go on this ghost tour. And I thought it was going to be cool. There's lots of great old architecture. There's probably a lot of different stories that they could tell uh, because it was founded in the 1600s. Yeah, ghost tour. Let's do it. The first three stops on the freaking ghost tour had nothing to do with hauntings at all. And our tour guide was A, brand new. It was her first tour. And on top of that, she was not knowledgeable about what she was talking about. And she was boring. Okay, when you talk about something, when, when, you're, when you're guiding a ghost tour full of people, A, you should have rehearsed what you needed to do. <laughs> Just a little bit. We're talking about general knowledge. Like, maybe it's because I can be in a an encyclopedia of useless knowledge and I can quote 90% of like every movie and TV show that I've watched. I maybe that maybe that's what it is. But 
I feel like if you're doing a ghost tour, all right, it's nighttime, it's dark, you're in an old historic city, it's not that hard to make it interesting. It's really not that hard to make it interesting. But why are we stopping in front of a graveyard talking about graveyard stuff? Is this like standard on all old town ghost tours? They stop at a graveyard and they're like, there's no ghost story to tell you about this graveyard, but I have these bells. Ringy, dingy, dingy, dingy. Does anybody know what these bells represent? Yeah, yeah, we get it. Back in the 1600s and the 1700s and 1800s, people were dumb and thought that you could get buried alive, stay alive for several days, and ring the bell because you were buried alive. We get it. That's how people made junk money back in the day. Because families would pay them to sit at graveyards listening for bells that would never ring. And it doesn't happen nowadays because, well, we have things like embalming and other other type morbid stuff that we don't need to talk about. Although, it is almost Halloween, so talking freaky is fine. But like, yeah, why stop me in front of a graveyard? The graveyard looked cool. I got some cool pictures of the graveyard. But... You have no haunting stories? You have no haunting stories about the church that's in the center of the graveyard or any of that business? Move along. That's called that's called scenic walking. You just walk down the street, and if you look to your left, you will see a really old graveyard. You know, or somebody significant buried in there. Something. Not the ringy-dingy story. It's dumb. Stupid. Another one of the tour stops was in front of a library that had spiderweb architecture. Look at the spiderweb architecture on the arches. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Tell me a story about somebody who died and their soul is trapped in the basement of the house and is tormenting families. That's that's what I went for on a ghost tour. That's what I wanted. You know, tell me a story about how somebody was murdered in that house or whatever. There was a murder story. She made the murder story boring. That takes talent. It takes talent to tell a story about a murder and make it boring. Okay, the highlight of the night is when she said, Can you tell I've, I, was a, I was a teacher before? And I mumbled to myself. Yeah, if you mean by your vibrant personality, I definitely get it. <laughs> and I, I mumbled it to myself and I made myself laugh. And people kind of looked at me when I chuckled. And, and that's sad. And that's not... To disparage teachers, because some teachers are interesting. Like, for example, my former high school and middle school teacher, Miss Mary Jane, who I, she may or may not be listening, I don't know. But she, at least, you know, was interesting. She could probably do a ghost tour and make it entertaining. But the ghost tour that I went on, no. I, I would not recommend. Not recommend it. In fact, now I'm like, God, I want to walk through old historic Newcastle during the day and get the interesting bits. If I'm going to do a ghost tour, I'm going to go to like Fort Delaware or or make a little trip to Gettysburg or Manassas, you know, anywhere else around here except for places that are here. And I have books on this stuff, on Delaware hauntings. I have books on it. Whew, would not recommend, sorry. Had to go off on a tangent there. Oh boy, okay, so, Harvey Weinstein. That's That's been that's been the, the focal point of the news for the past uh, week. 
give or take. Harvey Weinstein. What's the deal? What, 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 what Harvey Weinstein? Who is he? Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein's a, you know a producer. He and his brother Bob Weinstein co-founded Miramax Productions. Uh, several popular independent films spewed out of that. Pulp Fiction, Clerks, The Crying Game, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, to name a few. Uh, he produced Shakespeare in Love. Um, he has seven Tony Awards for producing a variety of winning plays and musicals, including the producers Billy Elliot, The Musical, and August Osage County. Two of which... I've never freaking heard of, and I'm a very cultured person when it comes to musicals and, and such. Um, they were He was co-chairman of the Weinstein Company from 2005 to 2017. Of course, now he's had numerous allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape against him. And he's been fired by his company's board and expelled from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Harvey Weinstein, this is this is a setup right here. This sounds like a classic setup, does it not? Guy in Hollywood, rich and powerful, does whatever he wants to the women, right? Pays them off for silence. Pays them off for silence. New York Times posted an article on October 5th. Harvey Weinstein paid off sexual harassment accusers for decades. I just want to read some excerpts from this for you. All right. Two decades ago, the Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein invited Ashley Judd to the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel for what the young actress expected to be a business breakfast meeting. Instead, he had her sent up to his room where he appeared in a bathrobe and asked if he could give her a massage or she could watch him shower. Okay, both awkward things, especially if you look at the face of Harvey Weinstein. Very awkward to get. I would be off-put. I imagine if I was a woman. And it definitely would be off-put if he offered it now. Quote, How do I get out of this room as fast as possible without alienating Harvey Weinstein? Miss Judd stated... She remembers thinking at the time. Uh, in 2014, Weinstein invited Emily Nestor, who had worked just one day as a temporary employee, to the same hotel and made another offer. If she accepted his sexual advances, he would boost her career, according to accounts she provided to colleagues who sent them to the Weinstein Company executives. The following year, once again, the Peninsula, a female assistant, said Mr. Weinstein badgered her into giving him a massage while he was naked, leaving her crying and very distraught. At least that's how a colleague, Lauren O'Connor, stated in a memo asserting sexual harassment and other misconduct by Mr. Weinstein. Uh, quote, there's a toxic environment for women at this company, she stated in that same memo. Now there's been a laundry list of actresses that have come out of the woodworks to say that Weinstein has been a sexual predator for years. For years. And, and again, this just this harkens back to 
you got a, a Hollywood, a hotshot Hollywood producer making lots of money. He's, he's uh, for lack of better terms, a fat blob that nobody would be physically attracted to. Has all this money, has all the power, so he has all the pull. And Hollywood is such a glitz and glamour and find the hot looking person to put up on the screen that it's not acceptable his behavior but a lot of the comments that you'll read from celebrities about it unfortunately ring out not surprising that that is that is what a lot of people in Hollywood are saying they're saying well I don't I, I never personally interacted with Harvey or had any one-on-ones or I didn't have any negative experiences but the fact that other people have isn't a shocker that paints a pretty grim narrative for everything. I want to play this clip from John Ziegler that he talked about on his podcast just to give us uh, a level playing field here uh, for discussion purposes. And that goes for way beyond this particular reporter. I'm going to say something I'm sure will piss off some people and, and, and certainly would be highly politically incorrect and you'll never hear in the major media. But I got a major problem with the eight women who allegedly, and apparently, according to the New York Times, made settlements with Harvey Weinstein where they were paid money and signed away their First Amendment rights by, by signing non-disclosure agreements. Which, by the way, are, are very difficult to enforce anyway, especially once the the uh, worm turns and the media's on your side. I mean, I, I doubt very seriously that at this point anyone's going to, you know, Harvey Weinstein's going to be able to enforce those non-disclosure agreements. But here's the deal. Here's what happened there. Let's be very clear. These women were paid money. In the case of Rose McGowan, who's been going off on Twitter all week to, you know, much publicity. Twitter actually suspended her for half a day and then basically pseudo-apologize for it because there was so much backlash, but she's the actress uh, who's, you know, she's now claiming that that Harvey raped her. Well, she accepted apparently $100,000. Apparently she was one of the eight. Okay, so what happens there? By the way, if you're taking $100,000 from Harvey Weinstein, my guess is your allegation either wasn't quote-unquote rape or you your story had some problems because if that was real you'd be getting more than $100,000, especially with signing a non-disclosure agreement. But when you sign that, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem taking the money, so per se, because you know that's the only way you might get justice. But when you, you're signing the non-disclosure agreement, that comes with a price tag. You are getting paid specifically for that. So in exchange for money, you are preventing yourself from being able to warn the public about this person you apparently believe and have evidence to believe is a monster. Okay? Nothing illegal about that. But no one forced you to do that. I, I heard that dozens of times. They were forced to sign non-disclosure agreements. Or that, at least that's the implication. No, 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 no. No. 
your, your lawyer may have advised you to do that because your lawyer was going to make money on this too. That's the way this works. So, but you got paid. You got paid. So then don't try to tell me you're a hero. You're actually a massive part of the problem. A massive part of the problem. Because if those eight women had decided, and I realize it's not easy, but so sometimes life isn't easy. If they had decided to speak out, then this would have been stopped a lot sooner. A lot sooner. So I don't see any heroes there either. Now, that's another angle and perspective that people are talking about. I don't like getting into victim-blaming discussions at all. Uh, I believe, but but let me stop myself. Let me talk about I'm a man. So there's a lot in the sexual harassment, sexual assault. There's a lot in the world that I don't understand about that. Uh, And it might be because of my upbringing. It might be because I have five sisters. It might be because I have a lot of nieces. Um, Yeah, I'm not a parent yet, but I don't understand the world we live in. This is the underlying cause of the problem. I believe that any woman, I believe that anybody that comes up with allegations, especially in terms of sexual in nature like this, sexual assault, rape, things like that, everybody has the right to be respected and believed. The the way our society is right now, the way that the status quo has been for a while now, is that it's hard, especially for women, but men too. And I get this from working in a prison and having to deal with things like uh, the, the Prison Rape Elimination Act put in a lot of uh, fail-safes, if you want to say, or put in a lot of processes, at least anyway, where uh, prisoners, male, female, what have you, could report sexual assault and abuse because, it. Uh, let's face it, in a prison it kind of does run rampant. There's this whole subculture to prison that's very odd, and well, we'll get into that some other time. But uh, it's hard for somebody to be a victim of one of these crimes and come forward because there is things like victim-shaming Which I never understood. I never understood how a woman could be sexually assaulted, raped, you know, inappropriately touched, or having to deal with inappropriate lewdness, and feel shamed by it. But there's a lot of different factors. There's that factor of, are people going to be taking this charge seriously? Who am I going up against? Somebody like Harvey Weinstein, a powerful money mover in Hollywood, for the independent film segment, no less. The independent film segment where, you know, Joe Blow can get into filmmaking and be a part of filmmaking. Probably a little intimidating. Not justifying actions of women to stay silent, take payouts, sign non-disclosure, non-disclosure agreements over issues kind of like John Ziegler brings up, there is a certain sense of enabling 
going on. And the fact that you hear so many Hollywood people saying, like, uh, it's not really surprising. I mean, it's deplorable. It's awful. It shouldn't happen. But it's also not surprising. That's not the right attitude to have about things either. It's not going to bring about a change if you say, oh, it's not surprising. That means that that attitude must run rampant in Hollywood. And I would not be surprised to see a wave of certain higher-ups getting scrutiny for things because not everybody can be a good person, unfortunately. But why do we live in a culture where women have to fear reporting things just because of shame being brought upon them? That's wrong. That's, that, that's a hostile environment. That's a hostile feeling. And granted, I'm somebody who, because this this discussion breaks into like the college campuses, where this subject comes up a lot, and we talk about, you know, the the you hear the words all the time, the rape culture. You got to stop the rape culture. Uh, you know, the posters of Johnny and Jeanette are out drinking. Uh, Johnny has sex with Annette or with Jeanette, who was drunk and could not consent. That's rape. That's not rape. Because Johnny was drunk too. Johnny and Jeanette were two adults that did dumb stuff and and made dumb decisions. Differences in things. I'm one that looks at things like this and say, if, if somebody comes out and accuses somebody, because these are pretty severe accusations, now there's a lot of women coming up against Weinstein. So this was... Uh, a clear pattern that has been built up, and and some of them did take uh, settlements, cash settlements, and whether you call that hush money or or what have you, that depends on who you are, and you have to look at it on a case by case basis. I mean, you're talking. Rose McGowan said that Harvey Weinstein raped her, and she took out. She had a a, a one hundred thousand dollar settlement with Weinstein back in the early two thousands. Which supposedly came with a non-disclosure agreement. She went on an epic Twitter Twitter rant over the whole situation and didn't specifically say things, but you know, skirted around certain things, which makes people think that there was a non-disclosure agreement in the settlement. Needless to say, she ended up posting a phone number. I forget whose phone number, but Rose McGowan ended up po- posting a phone number on Twitter, and got banned for a day and a half, which brought backlash on Twitter. And But her account was reactivated within the next day, and Twitter had to go on a big apology tour for, for doing it because they caught a lot of heat and flack for it, which is just an example of how this world works now anymore. Uh, I don't understand how we have this culture that where, where people could uh, victim-blame women for you know some pretty serious things that are uncalled for to happen to women that that are downright unacceptable and the world can't keep turning a blind eye people can't keep playing this game of enabling taking money and you know hush money and all that all that jazz and hollywood you know is a different world beast monster in business anyway and who knows what other dirty stuff goes on Behind the doors of Hollywood. I'm sure there's a lot that we could get into. And I don't feel like getting into. Needless to say. 
Weinstein's now paying for it. Nobody should feel sorry for Harvey Weinstein at this point. Uh, you, you build up such an independent market uh, in the world, and you make so much money, and yet you used your status and your power and influence to do this to women in the industry. That makes you a, a sleazeball. It makes you a sleazeball, and everything that's going to come your way, you probably deserve. That being said, everybody that's coming and speaking out, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm torn case by case basis. How much was going on? How far did it go? Did anybody specifically contribute and enable Harvey? Did people turn blind eyes? And is everybody that was involved, you know, do they have some level of guilt? Do they not? Things aren't black and white. It's not. It's not uh, it's not a clear picture in my mind, if you ask me. Now, switching focus to the ACA, Donald Trump, all that business, uh, an executive order was signed by Donald Trump uh, last week uh, in which I'm quoting from a CNN fake news article now. Uh, President Donald Trump took his first steps Thursday toward fulfilling his vow to dismantle Obamacare, signing an executive order that he says will bring affordable health insurance to millions more people. The order broadly tasks the administration with developing policies to increase health care competition and choice in order to improve the quality of health care and lower prices. Um, as the news is reporting these things, too, they always have to include this. However, it could destabilize Obamacare by siphoning out Younger and healthier Americans from the exchanges. Uh, the order, Trump said from the Roosevelt Room of the White House, would give millions of Americans with Obamacare relief. It would cost the United States government virtually nothing, and people will have great, great health care. Typical Donald Trump, say it twice. And when I say people, I mean by the millions and millions. Again, say it twice. Trump said the measures, quote, should have gone should have been done a long time ago and could have been done a long time ago. All right, specifically, the president is directing the Labor Department to study how to make it easier for small businesses and possibly individuals to join together and buy health insurance through nationwide association health plans. The department could give employers in the same industries more flexibility to offer group coverages across state lines, providing them with a broader range of policies at lower rates. Separately, the order would allow consumers to buy short-term policies which don't have to comply with Obamacare's protections for those with pre-existing conditions. Also, it, it looks to broaden the ability of employers to give workers money to buy their own coverage through health reimbursement arrangements, also known as HRAs. The changes could take effect, or could take six months or more to take effect, a senior administration official said. Now, the critics side, of course... <clears throat> Uh, the critics, however, worry that the order may free the association health plans from several key Obamacare regulations and from state oversight, allowing them to sell plans with lower premiums but skimpier benefits. That could draw younger and healthier customers away from Obamacare and send premiums skyrocketing for sicker people left in the exchanges. There's already a problem with that. There's already a problem with the fact that younger people, younger, healthier people have opted many a time to not be in a health care plan and pay a penalty because they'd rather pay the penalty than pay, pay for the health care plan. Some people call that stupid and misguided of younger people. Some people 
are poor and choose to do that because it's less of a burden for them to pay for a penalty than to pay for the health insurance. I've seen it time and again. I've seen it online. Uh, I know people who go through that. The thing is, is that there's two different groups of people out there in this healthcare debate. There's the one that want the government to pound the fist and fix it, and then there's people who say that the market can fix it. Let's compromise here. Let's let's find some gaps and all that. Uh, some people are so hell bent on there can only be national single payer. That's the only fair thing. So on and so forth. And then there's people like me who says the, the government being directly involved in your health care should scare you. Should absolutely scare you. <laughs> I don't want the government to have anything to do with my health care, period. I just want to be able to afford it and know that, you know, if I go into the doctor and they say that I have something significant and it needs to be worked on, that I can get the care that I need and not be freaking out about how to pay for it. Or at least not pressed for paying for it. Which, this is America. That's exactly what happens almost every single day. Nobody goes into the hospital, and the hospital says, well, you have cancer, and they're like, oh, I can't do anything about that. And the hospital says, okay, go home and die. Doesn't happen. I mean, maybe it does, but I just I find it highly unlikely that it does. And the, there are multiple routes that we can take here. First off, people should take the executive order on the executive order and its plan, not on the guy that signed it, which is Donald Trump, which lots of people won't even take anything that Donald Trump does, even if there are good bits in it. So, uh, like, for example, small businesses being able to band together and buy different exchanges and provide health care, that's a good thing. The individuals having the ability to buy across state lines possibly is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. All right, the health insurance business. It's a very complex world right now that we're talking about the health insurance and health care. There are differences between health insurance and health care and care and insurance. And I've had this argument before, too. Most places mandate that if you have a driver's license that you have some type of driver's insurance. Um, yeah, it's man like the places that have it, it is mandated. It's unlawful to drive and operate a vehicle without insurance. And I've said it time and again. I don't understand how the healthcare market isn't more like the markets for other insurances. I really it it's it's a special own little world that we're caught up in a debate about and we're getting nowhere fast with because it seems that the answer is one of two extremes to opposite groups. One group will not budge on anything short of single-payer health system. And in their mind, that is the fair route and the best route and maybe to an extent a pipe dream route of everybody will be okay and fine at that point, which, I mean, everybody knows that that's a load of horse hockey. Um, if that's Is that even a phrase? I don't even know anymore. I don't believe that there's any healthcare system that we can put in a place where everything's going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be fine and people aren't going to have to worry anymore. Impossible. I think there's a good compromise and a good host of solutions out there and everything should be looked at, but I'm not going to scrutinize 
Donald Trump's executive order just on the basis that younger or healthier people might drop out of insurance. That's a choice that people get to make. They're allowed to make that choice where we live in. We, we, we live, we're supposed to be living in the freest society ever. We don't in America. It's, it's, it's really, it's a lie. It's, it's lost a lot of that freedom and liberty. Um, but if, if people don't want a product, if people don't want to buy into that because they don't think it's worth the price, that is what it is then. It's not okay in my book to force people into it at all. Forcing people into things is, is bad territory, even if the intentions are good. Even if the intentions are, are the most noble in, uh, the, the most noble of intentions, I don't I don't agree with them. Um, the executive order at least is, is throwing options out there to see how they work, and I think that's a good thing. Um, is it the best of terms? No. Was I most happy with Rand Paul over it? No. Um, and and it's, it's something else that's coming up, tax reform. Tax reform is going to be taking a, a central fo- focal point uh, in debate and discussion, and I think a lot need to be done by taxes. Because uh, I think taxes are, I think national financing right now is, is is grossly mismanaged, and I think taxes are are a way too high, and b uh, I think there's too many loopholes. One of the things I just saw was the discussion of the like the child tax credit being extended or uh, or reworked for more money and. Parts of me sit here, like as a libertarian, as a small government libertarian individual who does not yet have kids, who has the has the ability to look forward to the potential of a child tax credit. Almost, you could say I do. I don't believe that things should exist because it's not like they're writing off two thousand dollars per child of taxes that you should be paying. It's the government giving you money. It's the government giving two thousand dollars for those who have a child. That's the point. It's and that so that is a mandate in which the government has to come up with money to spend, to give away to people for that, meaning that people get taxed more. If if you see how stupid this becomes, so tax reform is going to be a big forefront and something that I really pay attention to because the tax code, nothing legitimate has really been done to tackle the tax code, and it's not new amendments. It's not like what Bernie Sanders back in the debates. Bernie Sanders said he had a tax plan that he was introducing like three or four new laws to close out several loopholes in the tax code, which is what I call a dumb fix. If you have problems and loopholes in your tax code, it's because you were too vague with your tax code, and you shouldn't. It's something I've talked about passionately episodes ago about how many pages and how many words the tax code is. All the loopholes and industry, like the industries alone that exist just for tax purposes is ludicrous. And we want to talk about the government managing individuals' health care. 320 million plus individuals' health care. It's impossible. Impossible. One thing I wanted to—I was about to close out the show, but I remembered the one thing that I also opened with. I, I know I do that opening intro so time. <laughs>
I know I do the intro so many times, and I say, like, oh, and we're going to talk about this, too, and then I forget by the end of the show to talk about that one thing. This is one thing that I'm not going to forget talking about. Uh, I'm going into... I'm going into uh, my uh, my little uh, saved links here. Little saved links here. Oh yeah, did you? I, I didn't touch on this either, but this is sitting at the top of my thing too. Did you know the Boy Scouts are going to admit girls and allow them to earn Eagle Scout rank? So it's just the Scouts now. It's not Boy Scout. I don't have anything really negative to say about it. Um, just that the Boy Scouts better not try marketing boy girls Scout cookies. Because Girl Scouts definitely have the market cornered on on Girl Scout cookies. I'm just saying. Now this goes back to, to football players kneeling and all that. Now apparently, just to, just to bring everybody up to snuff and all that, uh, Colin Kaepernick is getting ready to sue the NFL saying that they're all banning against him and discriminating against him and, and kind of blackballing him from the industry. I... I don't I don't know. I don't believe you have a case when you have so many other people doing it on a weekly basis and they're not getting any disciplinary whatsoever. Only Colin Kaepernick has been, you know, and he hasn't even it hasn't even been disciplinary. So there's that. However, I want to talk about Nashville Predators PK Subban. Uh he told hockey fans he would never kneel during the national anthem. It's clear to him that that's not the route to take. Um he has been featured and I'm uh, reading this article. Uh, this website is fan-sided. It's Predlines. It's a Predator fan site. Uh, and the article is by Corey Francis. Um, quote, During home games this year, Subban will invite members of the Metro Nashville Police Department and a guest, a mentor from a local organization, and an underprivileged youth. After seeing news stories of tensions and struggles between law enforcement and youth, Subban wanted to build bridges in those relationships. In just two games this season, eight members of the community have been brought together. For Subban, it is enough to keep that huge smile on his face. Though getting players from other sports to get involved would probably help as well, not just to take a few pictures, but to foster conversation and understand. Regardless, Subban is making an effort, and for that, we applaud him. Now I'm going to go to the original article that I had on this. Uh, so during Nashville Predators home games this season, Subban will host what he calls PK's Blue Line Buddies Program, bringing together a member of the Metro Nashville Police Department and their guest with a mentor or with a mentor or a representative from a local organization and an underprivileged youth. Subban takes care of the game tickets, dinner, and meets with the group prior to and after the game to lift their spirits and give them a few hours to forget about everything going on on the outside. Subban mentioned how it's really important for athletes to be role models in terms of building bridges and being part of the solution to social issues. His quote, as follows, quote, I think it's important for athletes to set a tone in a way that we're looking to build bridges. That doesn't take away from anybody's right to do what they want, to do how they want to exercise their rights as an American citizen. But I think it's really important for us to be role models in terms of building bridges and being a part of the solution to social issues and different things that go on in our community. 
our law enforcement, these people that leave their houses and may not come back home at the end of the night. That's the job that they have. So to make them feel good and to also be able to help underprivileged youth that don't get an opportunity like everyone else, that come from broken homes, it's a win-win. P.K. Subban sets an example for all athletes how to conduct themselves. Not only did Subban donate $10 million to a Montreal Children's Hospital, but also he stated that this Blue Line Buddies program in Nashville, he started it. You're a class act, Mr. Subban. That was from NHL Trade Rumors. And that's just an example of stories that I like to see. Um, I like to see that these, th- th- this is an athlete clearly that cares about his community and cares about reaching out to the problem, not just doing something on television to be seen. And that's not I'm not saying that everybody taking a knee during the National Anthem in the NFL is doing that. But how many of them are doing things like this and how, is, how much of that is getting in the news? That's the question. That's what I leave you guys with. And on that note, cue the music. Guys, I'll see you next week. I'm on Twitter at FritzQS. It's Facebook.com slash the FritzCast and FritzCast.wordpress.com. Keep your eyes peeled. Blog's coming up pretty soon. Love you all. See you next week.